Hi, I'm Bailey. Hi, I'm Charles. And you're listening to Hold Me, I'm Scared. Um, welcome back to Hold Me, I'm Scared, where once a week we pick out something spooky or scary and we explore it together. And this week we are talking about mythology. And both Bailey and I have stories from Greek mythology. You're going to love it. This is going to be fun. It was fun for us. I had fun typing up my report. What about you? Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I actually, I I had even texted you while I was typing it, and I was like, I'm getting very into this. I went down a whole rabbit hole. I have I have unearthed. Well, I say unearthed. I have Googled like the actual like ancient Grecian texts. I I went in deep on this one. Wow. I mean, I went in to like the four foot section of the pool. Um, usually I'm chilling out in right. the kiddie pool. So, um, I mean, no, I'm actually a pretty good researcher. But uh, <laughs> this, yeah, I feel like I've, I've done well. I've even, yeah, I kind of like had to paint some of the own, like paint paint some of the myth on my own. So oh. that was exciting. You are the ancient Greek text. <laughs> I am the ancient Greek text. Um, also, I just want to let you guys know my neighbor, who is also my arch nemesis, you is has company. So enjoy what Charles has been referring to as the ambiance. Yeah, I mean, look, it gives it that real city spirits whispering through the walls, nitty gritty feel. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah, I'm glad one of us is. But besides what I'm excited about, I want to know what you are scared of today. Okay, yes. So, um, pretend like I didn't tell you this already. This is our third, okay. this is our third attempt at recording this. Um, I am like 65% sure that I had an entire stick of five gum stuck to my ass while I was babysitting yesterday. Like the whole and time. what I want to know. How did it get there? I, I would also love to know. Um, I So I, I did purchase five gum, so I know, like, it's mine. I do not know where it went after I purchased it. Apparently, my ass. All I want is just a <laughs> shot of you, like, picking up this gum from the convenience store, popping one in your mouth, and then, like, another one slides out, stuck to your ass. You walk into the house, and it's just, like, following you for a while throughout the day while it's just stuck to your backside. And then <laughs> this slogan pops up that's, like, how it feels to chew five gum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my butt was minty fresh. I'm into that as a gay person. Right. If I, thought... I could have a mint-flavored <laughs> But the whole time. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, look, but I okay, so how I realize is oh <laughs> it's like stuck okay, so that the okay. I just lifted up my chair so Charles could see. Okay, so the black on my chair is like the it's from the wrapper, because like five gung comes in a black wrapper and it like mm-hmm. has the force of my ass has imprinted like the the 
the like black from the gum wrapper into my chair and I can't get it out. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I get for having an absolute dump truck. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. For so little. Hey, I've got a nice butt. And it's minty fresh. I was just talking about that's a lot for like one stick of gum. Oh yeah. To for cause sure. like emotional embarrassment and staining. Yeah, it's a metaphor, really. Because really, gum just usually is like, hey, I'm a fresh in your breath, give you a good time, and then I'm gonna be gone in the trash. Yeah, that's what I like to think of myself as. Like just a little bit of a good time and then trash. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that fits for you. I'm into that for you. Thank you. I'm going to get that tat. I'm going to, that's your epitaph on your <laughs> gravestone. She was here for a good time, and then she went she in was the trash. trash. <laughs> she was here for a good time, but she was trash. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything more accurate. I'm always having a good time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> understatement, or sorry, overstatement. <laughs> Of her entire life. Um, what are, what are, (laughs) I had a stroke and you did nothing. Um, what are you afraid of today? (laughs) Besides you having a stroke, which uh, that's not something I would be afraid of. That's something I'd be moderately happy over. But I, well, I'm worried that I won't get to enjoy (laughs) summer as much as, no, well, that's true. I'm I'm worried that I won't get to enjoy the prime time of my year as much as I want to. But I'm also afraid of now that I feel like I'm getting my life back on track, especially with like the new moon. I'm afraid it's just for a short period and everything is going to fall to pieces again. I mean, like probably. No. I'm not like I just I I just think like if you if we're going to live as long as you think we're gonna live then like it it all will fall to pieces again eventually well for sure but like it doesn't have to do it now why can't it be in five years you think you're gonna have five years of like a good time what anything can happen it could but will it (laughs) we'll see is it (laughs) is it is it possible or is it probable? <laughs> I want to say probable so bad. But it is just possible. Right. <laughs> there's, your, there's your motivation. On that note. Going. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. Um, Bailey will be releasing her um, daily encouragement book <laughs> this week. Uh, here it's going to be a New York Times bestseller. Okay, I do um, want to say... I do want to say that, like, as I get older, I do get, like, increasingly more nihilistic. Really? This is so surprising to but, me. Okay, shut up. But I think it's made me, <laughs> like... More cynical? No, almost more positive. Because, he- listen, no, hear me out. What? Hear me out, because I'm convinced that like bad things are just going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it and to be fair that is a a fact of life okay but because Uh of that now i am taking better care of myself and doing more things that i enjoy because i'm like hey death is inevitable 
shit things are gonna happen so like i may as well eke out every crevice of joy that i can okay i so you've become so negative that you've become positive yeah aren't you glad you're my friend so we're looking for a new host on Hold Me, I'm Scared. Shut up. You can't take the podcast from me. I'm Ethan Klein. You're Trisha Paytas. I don't know if you understand that. I, like, kind of understand it. All I know is I really hate Trisha Paytas. That's just a fact. I hate Trisha Paytas. Now I need to know some facts and figures on mythology. I'm so sorry. We're so tired. Uh, okay. Here, Les, I am going to get into some facts and figures. Okay, so it's, it's kind of short because, like, how do you do facts and figures that, uh, like, encompass <laughs> mythology? Right. I'm, I'm gesturing a lot tonight, which I feel like is bad considering I have a very cramped setup. Um, okay, so I thought, first, let's talk about the difference between myth and uh, legends. Because I actually Ooh. didn't know this. I don't either. Okay, so um, all of this is basically just like, hello, basically. I should basically. That's how you're about to miss into that. Should I do this here about you? Oh my god, we're never gonna get through this. Uh, okay, all of this is basically ripped directly from the Wikipedia page on mythology. Great. Okay, so. Great. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, so myth is a folklore genre consisting of narratives that play a fundamental role in society, such as foundational tales and origin myths. Um, So the big difference between a myth and a legend is that myths usually involve gods, and they usually have no historical basis um, or, like, very little ties to, like, actual history um, and are set in a world of the very remote past. Um, whereas legends often deal with like everyday human beings, although like a lot of times the people that are discussed in legends are like leaders or like heroic, but they're not gods or like deities or like superheroes. Um, so they deal more with everyday human beings. They often do have like more of a historical basis than myth um or like more ties to fact and uh that they can be like ancient or modern so i thought that was kind of interesting okay um so the term mythos um first appeared in the works of homer and other poets of homer's area area (laughs) It was in his area. (laughs) I mean, that too. And other poets of Homer's era. and They make a cream for that. (laughs) Mythos um, actually originally translated to several different meanings. So it could be used to mean conversation, narrative, speech, story, tale, and word. So (laughs) good luck figuring out. If you, like, wanted to go back to, like, the actual text, good luck figuring out what the fuck they're talking about. Okay. 
Now, um, just like logos, which is another Greek term that originated around the same time, mythos expresses whatever can be delivered in the form of words. Um, and then the Greeks had a different word, ergon, for action or like deed or like like verbs, basically. Um, However, unlike Logos, Mythos doesn't have an explicit distinction between true and false narratives. Um, so even though like Mythos w- meant like basically like story, dialogue, like it could be used to describe words, the it, they could have been like complete whatever it was discussing. It could have been complete fiction or it could have been fact when the word originated. Does that kind of make sense? I mean, like, I'm kind of lost, but I feel like I kind of am on the train. Okay. I feel like I'm uh, hanging off the caboose, hitting the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Basically. Basically. The mythos and the legend, they're not really the same. <laughs> okay. So, basically, mythos, when the word originated, just meant, like, <laughs> oh my god okay pull it together uh okay oh something terrible has happened mythos when the word originated referred to written text describing dialogue or story okay but right that text could have been fact or fiction there was no distinction okay so, so it wasn't like we had fiction and nonfiction like today. Mythos just referred generally to like just all of it. Yeah. Yes. But no. then what was the difference between that and logos? Is logos legend? Logos also <laughs> Are you knocking shit over? Okay. Logos also referred to uh like speech re like reason and discourse. So logos was more like Okay, Mythos was a story, Logos was a talk show. Okay. <laughs> okay. And both referred to, like, narrative, speech, like, dialogue, written word. Okay, so Mythos is SNL, Logos is an interview with Jimmy Fallon. But, like, where Jimmy Fallon is running for governor. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, okay, so in the context of Greek theater, mythos referred to like the plot or story of a play. And in the era in which Greek theater was born, again, the word mythos covered an entire spectrum of different meanings from complete falsehoods to stories that had religious and symbolic significance. So mythos had no difference between like a fairy tale and um like a like religious like parable it was all it was all mythos back in the day we didn't have genres it was just all mythos just mythos (laughs) it could have been a reenactment of a government coup or a story somebody just made up from their imagination correct basically okay um so Whereas now it tends to the word myth or like mythos tends to be relegated to ancient stories, uh, often that involved deities and were used to explain natural occurrences that we didn't have scientific means to explain. 
Wonderful. So at least we all understand what it means now. Uh, yes. And then I had to have a figure in there because it is facts and figures. So I was like actually curious about how many gods and goddesses are in <laughs> Greek mythology. Uh, do you know how many there are? I'm going to guess the first number I had in my mind was 244. Okay. Uh, it was exactly 244. Was it really? No. Oh. I know. You were so happy. Be, oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't think it would burst your bubble that much. Um, no, I think that's something about, like, bones in our body. Maybe it's, like, 162. I don't know. I thought we had, like, 246. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we are so stupid tonight. I'm sorry. Charles and I are, are operating on one collective brain, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's not our best one. <laughs> so in Greek mythology, there are 12 major Greek gods and goddesses, the 12 Olympians. Um, but there are over 400 minor gods and goddesses. Oh, okay. There's Here I lot. thought I was undershooting. Yeah, well, you were. Wait. I mean, overshooting. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, um, that's a lot. <laughs> Ew, that's a lot, Bailey. Shall we discuss? <laughs> Shall we discuss what? I was just saying it sounded so, like, weirdly scripted the way that I said it. Say, oh. say it. The way I say it. It's like, <laughs> that's a lot. You know what? No episode this week. I gi- we give up. No, we don't. I feel like people will like this more. Um, we're both stone cold sober, by the way. Charles always is, but I also am tonight. But I might open a can of wine. I really don't know why I thought you were about to say, like, a can of beans. (laughs) We're both sober. Charles always is, but I, like, might open a can of beans. So. But I might open. (laughs) I'm thinking, like, I'm just chickpea. Eating, no, I'm just eating like a cold can of Bush's baked beans. <laughs> As you're telling your story, you're just like, oh, really? It's incredible. Just like directly from the can. Yes, which is like the peeled open, the half peeled open lid. <laughs> yeah. Just Wait. spoonfuls of a kind did of I'm, Great Depression meal. Did I ever tell you that I didn't buy a can opener until this year? You didn't buy a can opener until this year? Like, your whole adult life so far? Yeah, so what I used to do... Because, like, everything has a pop-top. But sometimes I would buy something without a pop-top. No, not everything has a pop-top. And sometimes that pop-top breaks. So, what I would do is I would take a knife. And I would take the... Would you just hammer it around the whole circumference? I'd hammer it around half, and then I'd, like, just, like, rip it open like a feral raccoon. For the past couple years, you've been doing that? Basically from 18 to 26. What? No, I don't don't even care. You know what? Build your arm strength, okay? Get a pop top. (laughs) Live your best life. You don't have a can opener? You don't have a can opener. What do I care? It doesn't affect me. It, it bothers you, though. It does a little bit. It does bother me. It does bother It bothers you. me. I'm, I'm very bothered by it. Well, I have a can opener now. I gave Because they're like $20, and I know that you could have saved $20 for a can opener <laughs> sometime in your life. 
Wait, you could I have literally gotten a manual one from like Goodwill. <laughs> no, that's for like I, two. I have a manual one, and it was like sick. I almost just said Manuel. I had a Manuel. <laughs> um, he's just a guy who I, I just found. I just have a a, a task rabbit that I hired named Manuel. I pay fifty dollars an hour to stand there and open up a can and open a can if I need it. If I need it, I just like to have him around. I'm lonely. Listen. Yeah. Bailey's gonna get her can of beans. Yeah, I'll be back. And we're gonna dive. <laughs> we're gonna dive right, right in. in to 27 minutes into recording. I'm gonna go first this week. And I'm gonna tell you a wonderful, well, I say wonderful, but it's not really a wonderful tale. Depends on who you ask. So, first, I have a would you rather. I actually thought of one. So imagine you're a princess, okay? And would you rather, you're like, what do you mean? Why do I have to imagine that you're a princess? Princess being stupid. Okay, I didn't say anything. Um, Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) But I saw it. You would have me so hard. I know, because sometimes I try to deflect what you might cast at me before you cast it. Could you deflect that? Mage school 101. So you're a princess. Okay? And you're about to have an arranged marriage. So would you rather... (laughs) Why are you laughing? become a princess today okay no you're a princess and you're a fake imaginary wonderful family okay and you're about to have an arranged marriage yeah now would you rather be in the one where the king or queen who you're gonna marry because this is fantasy we're allowed to have gay lovers okay yeah they're hot and your kingdom bank account is full and you almost want for nothing great but they're super pompous and arrogant and ignorant yeah. and you can't ever leave the ground of the palace okay or would you rather be in an arranged marriage where you are truly in love with your king or queen and you do fine like well off most days but you struggle to keep your kingdom happy healthy and afloat and you may reach a stasis someday but it's not guaranteed Hmm. Yeah, I'd marry the hot, rich one. See, I would too. We're both bad. <laughs> I know we're supposed to be like, yeah, and true love, true love always. That'll make you happy. No, look. <clears throat> no. I'd rather have the really idiotic, stupid king oh, husband yeah. and just like enjoy my castle. Honestly, like, that is the dream for me. This leads us into my story. Now, Greek gods and goddesses, Greek mythology, 
has some of the strangest stories in all of history. And in my younger years, I was like super in love with the myths. And I know you were too. Um, and we still both really are. However, now that we've gotten older and wiser, I take a look at like some of the myths and I'm like, you find a lot of disturbing themes. And what's worse is that like a lot of these things were painted to be like one thing, like the sanitized version that didn't seem as bad. But now we're discovering that like it has nastier, grittier undertones. Yeah. So, um, trigger warning for any Greek myth, really, but especially for this one. Um, we have some incest, we have some rape, possible pedophilia, and pederasty. If you don't know what pederasty is, it is sexual relations between a man and a young boy most oftentimes not consensual it was very popular back in the greek and roman days yeah um mm -hmm. so i can't say if the greek gods were ever real if they're still real i don't know however out of all of them there seems to be one who is the most problematic and that is our friend zeus okay now, Zeus, he has a scary and interesting past, starting from his inception. So, if you don't know a lot about Greek mythology, I'm going to give you, like, a little bit of the backstory. So, sit back, relax, close your eyes. Unless you're driving, keep your eyes open and just imagine. So, in the beginning, there was chaos. Now, chaos was simply, most times, the empty universe. And chaos gave birth to a few children. And it's hard to say because it varies, but one of his children might have been Gaia, who is the Earth personified, but she might have just came out of nowhere by herself. Big bang. I don't know. So she created her own child, Uranus, who is the sky. And Say it right. I will never. That's how most people say it. I'm not going to say Uranus. Anyway. Um, now, why she didn't just make him to be, like, her husband, I don't know. She made him her child, and then they have quite a few children together. So, like I mentioned before, if you're unfamiliar with the Greek myths, they loved incest, okay? They really did. The Greek deities just couldn't keep their hands off each other. So, but to be fair, like, in this case, there were only, like, those few people around, so... What are you going to do? So they had a lot of children, right? And the notable ones here are the Titans, who were mostly monstrous, and the goddess Rhea. Now, one of the Titans, Kronos, was the god of time, and he shacked up with his sister Rhea, the goddess of female fertility. And they gave birth to six children, Hestia, the goddess of the hearth, Hades, god of the underworld, Poseidon, god of the seas, Demeter, goddess of the harvest, and Zeus god of the sky, gods, and lightning. And Hera, um, wife of Zeus and goddess of marriage and the life of women. Now, I know that's a lot to swallow, but speaking of swallowing, Kronos <laughs> was a very jealous being, and he knew his kids were capable of taking away his throne, his power, his rights. So he swallowed all his kids whole, right? Just all of them, pick them up, gobble and he got all of them except for Zeus. Zeus being the last born, Rhea 
who was his mom, she deceived Kronos and had him swallow a stone instead. And then Zeus was sent away to the island of Crete, where he would be raised by water nymphs and nursed by some random goat named Amalthea. Shout out to the goat. Shout out to that goat. Okay, but also, how fucking ugly does your baby have to be that he can be confused with a rock? Oh no! Or how fucking stupid does your husband have to be? I think it more relies on how stupid Kronos is, because all the gods and goddesses, including Zeus and his sisters and brothers, were said to be like very good looking, except for Hephaestus. Hephaestus was supposed to be ugly, so (laughs) poor Hephaestus. I know. So when Zeus, you know, he grew up on the island of Crete, hanging out with the nymphs and his goat surrogate mom, and he reached adulthood or close to and he started one of the very first wars in the world and he first got his father to throw up his siblings by giving him either a potion or a special herb and being immortal they were all still alive in his stomach and they grew up to their (laughs) adulthood as well and like i said he threw them up and they overthrew their father and the rest of the titans Um, together and they locked them all in a place called Tartarus which is like the hellish place of the underworld where all the baddest creatures are kept okay if you're still with me we're rolling on now Zeus was the official king of the gods and Zeus was not always the best ruler he was in fact very desire driven and never received any negative consequences for his bad choices so he kept doing bad things and he was known to rape just a few humans if not more kidnap them he was he's like your basic fuck boy but even worse he slept around with many goddesses and humans and sometimes he wouldn't even be in his god form and one myth he turns into a swan and preys upon a sleeping queen named Leda, and she is then pregnant not from only zeus and swan form but her god king husband no sorry not god king husband just her normal human king husband And she gives birth to human children from her king husband, and then to eggs from Zeus, and then out of those eggs pop more demigod and human children, the most famous of those children being Helen of Troy. Like, okay, let's just pretend for a moment that, like, this, like, the mythology is, like, real. Okay. If you're living in ancient Greece, like, literally nothing can surprise you. No. Nothing can. It's just like, oh, yeah, that queen laid eggs. And everyone would be like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, she got (laughs) fucked by Zeus. He was a swan at the time. Like, what? What? How do you even, like, go about your life? It's just, like, Yeah, um, a lot of, a lot of, like... Um, articles that I looked at and like videos that I watched said that like the Greek people at this time were like afraid of the gods in a way especially because of Zeus because he's just he's a rapist he does crazy things like he's yeah he was a piece of shit also I have to say that like when I was like a preteen I had like a similar thing going when I learned about the Virgin Mary because I was like oh wait God can just like make me pregnant like at any time at any time. 
you could have the next messiah um oh i also forgot to mention my sources hey um so i my sources are the podcast uh podcast called mythology this one was the episode so hello so what (laughs) solstice special sagittarius capricorn and aquarius um the collector.com and we have a YouTube video called The Messed Up Origins of Zeus, King of Gods, Mythology Explained, and uh, GreekGods.info slash Zeus. So, like I said, Zeus, he's whack, okay? For lack of a better word. That's a pretty subtle word for Zeus. Um, so I'm going to be sharing a story that involves a lot of Zeus's worst traits. Um, this is the abduction of Ganymede. So, Ganymede was a handsome fellow. Said in most myths to have golden hair, perfect body, perfect face, all of that, right? Gorgeous. They all love him. We all love it. Great. He was said to either be like a Trojan prince or just some random ox herd shepherd. I know those are like very two opposite society classes. Um... But we just don't have a concrete answer. So, up to this point, we know that Zeus is just sexing it up with the world, both consensually, mostly non-consensually, and all these stories that we know have have been with women. However, Zeus caught sight of Ganymede and said, He's gorgeous. I have to have that. Now, I hate to mention it, but it is said Ganymede was not only beautiful, but also young. Now, in most versions of this myth, he is just a young man. However, we know that pederasty was very popular, like I mentioned before. A lot of paintings depict Ganymede as anywhere from an infant to to prepubescent teen to adult. So for this telling, we're going to stick with young adult. Yes. Um... Not that that makes it any better, but one day Ganymede was just going about his business, right? Normal day at the palace or in the ox field, dependent on his occupation. Um, when suddenly a big shadow appears over him, a giant eagle is looming overhead. Okay, this eagle with a screech starts hurtling down towards Ganymede, and with hardly any notion of what's happening, Ganymede is suddenly snatched up by the eagle, both legs in his talons, he's balanced on his wings, and it just starts heading up towards Mount Olympus, home of the gods. Okay, crazy. Now at this point, I'm sure Ganymede is terrified. Imagine if you're walking to your car after work, some giant eagle just snatches you up and starts taking you anywhere. That's terrifying. I'd I jump. You. I'm not sure you could, because <laughs> in every painting, the legs are grasped firmly in the talons. Oh. So you're yeah, just... so you're not going anywhere, except where that eagle's going. That would suck. <laughs> yeah. So the eagle lands on Olympus in a beautiful garden, and let's go of Ganymede. And Ganymede is not only in shock of what just happened, but also is what is happening like in front of him as a brilliant light takes over the eagle and it's struck with lightning the sound of thunder the eagle is no longer and in its place stands the god of gods zeus now that's a lot to go through for one said ox herder or prince but zeus then 
welcomes Ganymede to Olympus and tells him the reason that he brought him here is to offer him a job of sorts. And he can be the cupbearer to the gods, but to Zeus personally. And not only that, but there will be some perks to the job, immortality, everlasting youth, and he can be Zeus's personal consort. Now, I don't know what you would choose, but if that happened to me today at this very moment, I probably would accept without a second thought because Zeus was hot. Okay, I want to live forever and I can work my way up. Cool. Mm, no. Knowing what I know about these these fuckers, I would dip. I'd be like, thank you for the offer. Honored to be considered. I would rather just go back to my lowly life as a sheep herding prince. Thank you. Right. Um, and so what did Ganymede choose? Right? Well, unfortunately, this wasn't exactly like a what would you choose situation. Okay? This is more of like this is what you'll be doing situation. <laughs> um, now, you might wonder why the eagle, right? Um, Zeus, one of his symbols is um, he has eagles. He's represented by the eagle. He likes to turn into an eagle sometimes. Good for him. So this is interesting as well. Ganymede's dad, not his new daddy, um, is really mourning the loss of his son his birth father. And I doubt he even knew what really happened to him. Maybe he saw his son get snatched up by the eagle. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe he didn't. Whoever saw it, I'm sure was terrified. So Zeus notices this and takes pity on him. And he offers him a day a week to meet with his son. Except that's not what happens at all. Just something I made up because it sounded better. Um, Instead, Zeus is like, look, since you're super sad because I took your son, I'll give you two beautiful immortal horses that are meant for carrying gods, but now you can have them in place of your son. Doesn't that sound good? I guess it depends on how much you like your son. It really does. It really does. If you hated Ganymede this whole time, you're like, give me those horses. <laughs> if you loved him, you're like, you're like, oh. Yeah, if you hated him, you'd be like, Oh no! Oh, you're good. Horses instead of my my bastard but little. I'm sorry. My I mean my beloved son. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess that's so sad. Fake Pat tear. Yeah. Not only does he learn that his child is a sex slave, which he might have left that detail out, but knowing Zeus, he probably didn't. Um, but you lost your kid to some eagle. And then Zeus comes down and is like, yeah, so like, I know you're pretty beat up about it, but like, you can have some immortal horses. Okay, bye. That's something. So now we have Hera, who is Zeus's wife, right? His sister, too. Um, she's pretty mad about the whole ordeal. Each time Zeus gets a new quote unquote lover um, or victim, um, she is upset, understandably so, because she's like, that should be me sharing your bed and your time. But she never takes it out on Zeus directly. Maybe it's because she can't. Maybe he's too powerful. I don't know. But she always takes it out on the lover or victim instead. And she's done this many times, tries to kill them, blah, blah, blah. But she didn't try to do that with Ganymede. And I don't know why. At least not in these versions of the myth that I saw. So... In the mythology podcast, we gain a bit more insight into Ganymede's mindset, and I took the liberty to put a little bit of my own spin into the tale as well. 
so we come upon the scene. Ganymede spends all his days filling the gods' cups with their heavenly drink called nectar out of an ever-flowing vase. And the gods just live day-to-day partying and feasting and laughing and getting drunk and having sex with each other, rinse and repeat, and this begins to weigh pretty heavily on Ganymede. And he's getting bored with it. And he is beautiful and all the gods constantly stare at him, but he's used to being stared at. So he's there for who knows how long. Could be a month, could be 300 years. He's immortal. We don't know. So we catch Ganymede wandering away in the garden from one of these parties. And he sits against a column and wonders like what his life might be like had Zeus Eagle not taken him away just to pour drinks and sex a god every day for eternity. Would he find a husband, a wife, have true love, be a prince, a painter, an ox herder? While he thinks on it, Zeus notices he's gone and goes to talk to him. And now, I kind of gave us like a little bit of like a story story, right? We have like voices and dialogue. So get ready. We have Zeus. Zeus says, what's wrong, my beautiful boy? Such a beautiful face doesn't deserve to be troubled. Ew. Ganymede sighs. I'm just not happy. All I do is watch you party and drink, and all I am is just a cupbearer, and I just want more. Zeus is a little taken aback and says, well, you can have anything you want. If you're tired of serving as the cupbearer, I'll give you a job. I'll give the job away to somebody else if that's not what you want. Ganymede kind of stares for a minute and says, it's not just that. I, I want to go back home and see my family. I want to see my, my home, my city, my people. Zeus is even more confused and almost angry. I've given you eternal youth, and you want to go back to a place where you'll grow old? Ganymede just looks at him with eyes that have a dimmed spark. Zeus sighs. All right, Ganymede. I'll allow you to accompany me to visit the Earth tomorrow, and whenever I visit the humans. Ganymede's eyes light up at the prospect. Thank you, he says. The next morning, Ganymede is more than excited to join Zeus in his chariot. And as they fly down to the land below, Ganymede notices that the land is dry. He remembers his home being fertile and green, but that's not what he sees. A drought has taken his home, and... On his trip, he learns that the farmers are still sacrificing their last skinny animals in Zeus's name and praying for rain, yet they receive none. And this infuriates Ganymede. So when they arrive back home to Olympus, there is, of course, another lavish party taking place. Cups overflowing, food and ambrosia piled high, and the sight of it sickens Ganymede. And he pulls Zeus aside. I need to talk to you, he said. Is this to thank me for taking you to Earth? I know you're grateful. No need to thank me, Zeus says boastfully. No, Ganymede says. The humans down there, where we went today, they're starving. They need rain. They need our help. I I was just thinking if we... Zeus let out an indignant laugh. (laughs) Ha! Ganymede! Ganymede! One trip back to humans, and you already think you know how to rule the world better than I do. Ganymede had enough at this point. Maybe I do. You know, you sit up here all day, day after day after day, with all your nectar and ambrosia, filling yourselves, thanking yourselves for being great, and when people down there are starving and crying for your help while you just ignore them, 
You're, you're a careless fool. Zeus's eyes turned white and crackled with electricity. Silence, Ganymede. I am a god. I've given you immortality, eternal youth, a place in my home, a place in my bed, and this is how you speak to me. Ganymede was steaming and shaking at this point. He was shocked not only with the boldness of himself, but he was also frightened. But he wouldn't let Zeus know that. He stood up straight. I didn't ask for any of those things. You took me away with no choice. I enjoyed my time here at first, but after seeing how the humans are being treated, you need to help your people. Enough! Zeus yelled. With a loud crash of thunder overhead, Zeus was seething with anger. He was glowing, crackling with small veins of lightning, dancing around his body. Ganymede was afraid. He realized he needed to try to calm Zeus down before things got out of hand. Please, Zeus, all I want to do is help. I care about them. I care about you, and I just want everyone to be happy. Zeus started to unclench his fists. His eyes faintly began to soften. He was smitten with Ganymede. How could he stay mad at him? Ganymede continued. Maybe... Maybe if we just gave them one of the nectar vases, it, it never empties and they'll be so grateful to you, they'll sing your praise forever. Zeus paused, and for a moment it looked as if he was ready to give in. But he scoffed as his pride bubbled back up. No. <laughs> no. That's a sacred... That's sacred for gods, Ganymede. Not something just to toss away for mere mortals. Ganymede lowered his head. Then you leave me no choice. With that, Ganymede rushed into the gods and goddesses, who at this point were in silence just watching Zeus and himself. He ripped out the vase from the new cupbearer's hands and ran as fast as he could to the edge of the peak of the mountain. He slid to a stop and began pouring out the nectar onto the lands below. Zeus yelled and ran to his lover, ready to punish him, and in some versions of the myth, he did. But once the humans began receiving the glorious rain, they began singing praises to Zeus and giving many offerings. And Zeus was still furious with Ganymede, but he was still in love with him. So he hurled Ganymede into the stars. And that he was that's like a when somebody is placed in the stars by the gods, it's like usually a very heroic honorary thing. Mm-hmm. So he was placed there heroically forever and forever. You can see him pouring out a vase to his family and people below. And this is how Ganymede became the constellation Aquarius. And it's said that if needed, you can call on Ganymede whenever you need rain. So I'm an Aquarius. I was excited to hear that story. I didn't know that constellations had myths behind them. I just thought people looked at them and were like, I don't know. Those were shapes. (laughs) <laughs> um, that one looks like a guy pouring out water. <laughs> we'll call it Aquarius. Um, but yeah, that is the story of the abduction of Ganymede. And I think what I find most frightening about that is that Zeus is like the ruler of the world. And yet he's like violent and reckless and extremely selfish. And yeah. that... I think is like what I wanted to reiterate is what I find so scary about Zeus. And that is my story. It was beautiful. So the, like the, the story of like the events that occurred, that's all the myth. And then you just added in some dialogue for flavor. Yeah. I liked it. 
I think like that there is something like really scary about the idea of like gods who have infinite power having such like base human emotions like jealousy and rage and like covetous covet covet covetousness I don't know whatever um but like and also just like being so brutal like Zeus brutalized a lot of people in mythology and other gods so like it, this like he was like evil honestly and then he was the ultimate ruler so there is something about like being powerless to uh, a being that is like essentially like an, an overpowered evil brat <laughs> right but I think kind of like they still have their flaws which is like hopeful because you we see like time and time again that humans were able to trick gods in myths so they still they're not like totally impregnable yeah so there's hope but like still for the most part you're pretty powerless against them yeah good story i didn't know that story thank you for sharing you're welcome now ladies and gentlemen Welcome to the stage, Bailey, as she tells you her story. I'm ready to hear it. I'm excited because I already know, I feel like some of it, but she said that there were things that she thinks that even I don't know and that that she didn't know herself. Yes. Okay. Um, So first I have a would you rather. Oh my God. A would you rather from you? (laughs) Um, Okay. Would you rather... Your two, like, feet be hooves, like giant hooves, like, they, like, big hooves. Hooves. Or have a small tail. Is it a prehensile tail? Like an extension of your tailbone, is that what that means? No, prehensile is like you can move it, like, I can, like, grab, like, a pencil with it. No, it's just, like, a small, Oh, it just wags when I'm happy? Yeah. You can't do much with it. But it can be hidden. You can't really hide the hooves. Is it like... Okay. I know... I, I, I got... I have a clear picture of the, the hooves, okay? But with my tail, is it like like a rat tail? Does it have fur on it? Kind of like a cow... Like a cow tail. But it's just like very like small and slender. You could just like put it down the leg of your jeans. I feel like I would hate it because I'd be like made fun of for it like my whole life you think your hooves would that would not be made fun of oh yeah it would i think i'd rather the tail okay what would you choose i don't know i'm talking about the minotaur today (laughs) why do you never choose because i don't have to i come up with the question okay i'll have the tail please Half man, half beast, the Minotaur. My sources were Wikipedia and theoi.com. Woo! Okay, so picture it. Ancient Greece. King Minos was a noble in Crete who was competing with his brothers for the throne of Crete. He claimed that the gods favored him as the ruler. And to prove it, he said that whatever he prayed for would happen. So to demonstrate this, one day he's sacrificing to Poseidon, the god of the sea. And he prays for a bull to come out of the sea and promise to sacrifice it 
to Poseidon when it appeared. Okay, so Poseidon answered his prayer and sent forth a beautiful white bull. Obviously, like, gods have this thing with animals where they only send, like, really hot animals. Yeah, the prettiest animal. Mm-hmm. The pride, the blue ribbon bull. Yes. Think of the best bull. It's better. Okay. So, <laughs> so Minos sees the bull and being greedy and, in my opinion, stupid, decided, you know what, actually, thank you, I I am going to keep this bull for myself, and I'm just going to sacrifice another one from my herd, and I'm sure you'll be cool with that, Poseidon. I, okay. It's like, why? Why do people ever That seems real stupid. The gods will never be cool with anything, okay? You have to do exactly what they ask, and even then they still might... Be mad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, obviously, this pisses Poseidon off. Oh, but, uh, okay. So, it does work, though. Like, the he prays and the bull comes. So, he does get to be king. Minos is king. Poseidon's pissed. So, he enlists the help of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, to get revenge on Minos for being a fucking idiot. So, Aphrodite bewitches Minos' wife, Pasiphae. Also, I'm probably pronouncing all of these wrong. I don't care. Don't at me. So Aphrodite causes Minos' wife, Pasiphae, to fall in love with, or basically just get really horny for, that bull that Poseidon had sent out of the water. Okay. So Pasiphae is consumed with this insatiable lust for this sexy white bull. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I wrote in my notes, too. I I did all the research, and then I just wrote it in my own words. Okay, so she enlists Daedalus, who you might recognize, except for the fact that I'm probably butchering the name, but he is a skilled builder in, um, in Greek mythology. He's Icarus' dad, and <gasps> if you know the story of Icarus, Daedalus okay. built him, and Icarus, the famous wings... That allowed them to fly super high, but he was like, Icarus, don't get too close to the sun. Icarus was like, that's your dream, not mine, Dad. And then he did it, and then he, the wax melted, and he fell into the sea and died. Yeah. This, well, is, bef- this is before that happened. This is back when Daedalus is like rocking, being, being the best builder in town. Okay. So Pasfe is like, I need you to build me. <laughs> She's also... <laughs> The predecessor to Uncle Sam, it appears. She goes, I need you to build me something that'll let me fuck this bull. No. Yeah. Okay. So, Daedalus constructs a a wooden cow. (laughs) (laughs) That's hollow on the inside. Okay. Then he kills a real cow and and staples... (laughs) the skin over the wooden cow frame to just uh, make it look more convincing. Okay. Okay. So then they put the the fake cow. Does she in... get inside of that fucking bull? Okay. Does she so... get inside of the fake cow? So they put the fake cow in a meadow where the sexy bull like to graze and pass the fake gets inside and then the the sexy bull sees the fake cow and is like, that's <laughs> a good looking cow. <laughs> that's a good looking cow it said and and so the the bull like 
not realizing it's a fake because Daedalus is like a really good builder, um, like mates with the cow and like Pacifae is positioned inside so that it... uh, Her hole matches the hole. No, we get it. We see it. So the the bull has sex with her. Okay. So she's impregnated by the bull. And... um, (laughs) And uh, and then she gives birth <laughs> to a half man, half bull that we know as the Minotaur. The Minotaur, wow! And the word Minotaur translates to bull of Minos. Makes sense. Uh, he had the face of a bull and the body of a human. I wonder okay. what he ate. Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so Pacifate nursed the minotaur like a baby can you imagine this half (laughs) baby half baby calf nursing from you yeah she apparently was like fine with it um well yeah she wanted to fuck the bull but to be fair it wasn't her fault at first no i mean it was like it was aphrodite you know unless that was just like an excuse she's like i mean Oh no! Wouldn't that be crazy if if Aphrodite cursed me or something? Apparently, it was a very like hot bull. I mean, had that face. So, but not the Minotaur. That's her son. Okay, so she nurses him, but he, like she drew the line there. Yeah, but he kind of like Clifford the big red dogs it, and like he just starts growing like super rapidly. Because, you know, he's the unnatural offspring of a woman and a beast. So uh, he, like, didn't... So because of that, he didn't have, like, a natural source of sustenance. So, like, the breast milk didn't, like, really work for him. Uh, so, so, so... Uh, what did he eat? Grass. Humans. Oh. He ate humans. That's... That's... What, that's what it worked for him. So... Minos goes to the oracle at Delphi, which is like a famous oracle. We probably even to mention the name. Yes, jitters. And uh, he's like, I, I <laughs> have a problem. <laughs> uh, my wife like fucked a bull, and now she has a baby, half man, half bull, and it it's very hungry for a human. And so the oracle is like, how about, you remember the guy that built the cow? And King Minos is like, yeah. <laughs> so how about you, you like, I know there's some bad blood. How about you ask him to build you a gigantic labyrinth to put your, your bastard baby in? Oh, this is where we get the labyrinth from. Yes. So he does that. Uh, and Daedalus is like, I-, I love it because he clearly has like no allegiance. He's like, hey, work is work. I'm very good at building things. So I did create this problem, but I will also solve it. So he constructs this like huge labyrinth. Um, and it the labyrinth is near Minos Palace in Nosos. I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like the labyrinth is said to have like basically a hidden exit. It's basically unlike 
navigatable. Yeah. It's It's hard to get through. You can't can't find shit in there. All right. Pause on that. Okay. So that happened. Uh, Bastard baby bull man is in the labyrinth. But he's huge now and he's like insatiably hungry for people. All right. So Minos has like a real son. Um, Androgis, who he loves. And he gets killed in Athens. Okay? Uh, Short-lived story. (laughs) (laughs) Minos is having a a bad time. So different ancient texts cite the different ways that he died. And so some state that Androgis... Androgeus? Androgeus? Androgynous. It's not (laughs) androgynous. But I'm going to say Androgeus. 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 So some say that he participated in the why do I do this to myself? The Panathenaic the Panathenaic the Panathenaic games in the fucking Pantheon. Um and those games and he wins all the prizes. He's Yay. Just, he's like a star athlete. Um and then now he's going to Thebes. Uh, which is another city, to take part in another contest. Kind of like he passed the semifinals, he's going to the finals. But Good then he, get, he gets ambushed on his way and killed <sighs> by the competitors that he's supposed to compete against in Thebes. That's one story. That's rude. I know. Another story posited by ancient Greek writer Servius suggests that Androgeus was murdered upon his triumph. So, like, when he won the games, the, Ath- the Athenians were, like, pissed off because uh, he was, like, from Crete, you know, rival team. Uh, and they just, like, killed him. Okay? Yeah, we always killed our rival team. Yeah, for sure. In another ver- version, which is, like, my preferred one, Aegeus, who's the king of Athens, um... He's like, okay, I, I guess like after the bull fucked his wife, Minos didn't like really want it around anymore. So like it somehow came in possession of Aegeus, the king of Athens. Okay. And something happens where Aegeus command, like Minos' son, Androgeus compete against the bull, like fight the bull. Right. Maybe as like part of the games or like. Uh, his stepdad. <laughs> uh, well, he's not. Yeah. Well, they were never married. His mom's special friend. His mom's former lover, the bull. Um, and, like, he's killed by the bull. So, like... Okay, full I like, circle. I like that one because it's the most poetic. Um, and then there's another text that's pretty similar that suggests that um, Aegeus himself just, like, straight up killed Androgeos because he thought that he was going to support his political rivals. Um... Anyway, he's killed in Athens, okay? Minos' son killed in Athens. He's dead. Minos is devastated. So he wages war on the Athenians, but he fails to destroy Athens. So he prays to Zeus and is like, I didn't get get to punish them. So, like, Zeus, you're a cool guy, uh, as we know. And you're, you're good at punishing. So how about you punish them for the death of my son? And I guess Zeus was just feeling it that day because he was like, yeah, okay. So he sends plague and famine to Athens. Okay. With, like, 
no backstory either. It's just like, he's okay. Like, well, I do kind of feel like that fits with Zeus' character. Like, he's like, eh. I'm like, I can make someone suffer. Why not? Okay. So the Athenians, now they're going to go to the Oracle because they've got a problem. So they consult an Oracle who says, uh, who like consults the gods and they're like, okay, basically you guys fucked up. All right. You killed this guy's son and there was no good reason for it. So you need to give Minos whatever he wants. And what does he want? Well, Minos <laughs> decrees that depending on the source, either every one, seven or nine years at some interval of time. 14 Athenian youths, seven maidens, and seven young men uh, are to be offered as sacrifice to the Minotaur. So this is like the ancient Hunger Games. (laughs) Yes, and I literally make a comparison to that later. I actually, as I was reading this, I kind of was like, was the Hunger Games inspired a little bit by this myth? Right, like just a little bit, because it sounds a little familiar. (laughs) And it's going to get more familiar. Okay. So the victims are drawn by lots. I really feel like you're going to be like, and then Katniss. <laughs> Wait, I literally am. No, stop. No, keep going. So the victims are basically drawn in like a lottery. And uh, they're required to go unarmed. And they were either would either end up being consumed by the mentor. Rip. Or they would get lost and perish in the labyrinth because, like, they there was like they just like starved because it was a maze. It was a maze. Really, you couldn't get out of it. During the third round of these sacrifices, Theseus, who's the son of Aegeus, the king of Athens, he pulls a Katniss Everdeen and he volunteers as tribute. Stop. (laughs) Yeah, he does. He's like, send me. I'm gonna kill the Minotaur. I got I got it. Like different motivations for sure. Um, yeah. But we love to see a Katniss Everdeen <laughs> of the time. Yeah. Uh Theseus was the original Katniss Everdeen. He's the um, original mocking Jay. Look at that. Okay. So he tells his father, Hey, if we're successful, the Athenian ships are going to change their black sails to white when we return to Athens. So we're going to go to Crete. I'm going to fight the Minotaur. If I kill him on the way back, we're going to change our black sails to white. And so, like, you're going to see the ships coming. You're going to know that I was victorious. So upon Theseus's arrival in Crete, Minos' daughter, Ariadne, falls madly in love with Theseus. Okay, he's hot. He's Athenian. He's like a bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks. The Romeo and Juliet situation. Their dads hate each other. Mm. Yeah. It's we live for it. Everything. Um, so she's like, you know what? I'm going to help you kill my half-brother, the Minotaur. <laughs> uh, okay. So she's like, here's the thing, dude. No one can find their way. Like... Actually killing him, that's kind of on you. Can't help you much with that. But no one can get out of this fucking labyrinth. So I'm going to give you this big ball of thread. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can unwind it as you go through. So, like, all you have to do is just follow the the thread. Right. When you leave and then you get out. Okay? Simple. Then we can get married and we'll be in love. So Theseus does that. He, like, 
Hansel and Gretel's it with the thread. Uh, he finds the Minotaur, and then he he's successful. He kills him. Um, and, like, dep- again, depending on the source, he either does it with a club, a sword, or his, like, bare fucking hands. With his bare hands. His I mean... bare hands against a bullhead. I'm, like, kind of into Theseus right now, you know? Like... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The the statues are pretty erratic. So then he... the So, obviously, he didn't go alone. There were, like, all the other sacrifices so not only does he save himself uh and like again all the sacrificial athenians that would have been sacrificed in the future he leads the other athenians out so he's like a hero thanks to ariadne okay uh so he makes his way out and then he's like hey ariadne that was really cool why don't you go with me back to athens and she's like yeah we're in love that's great uh, but oh then, God. but then he abandons her at an island. Oh, <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> oh my God, typical. So basically, there are no heroes in mythology. They're all just pieces of shit. Fuck boy, dopes. Okay, so perhaps being distracted by uh, abandoning this girl that's just like saved his ass and is in love with him, he forgets to switch the sails on the ship from (sighs) black to white. So, Aegeus is, like, pacing in the watchtower, waiting for Theseus to come home, hoping that he made it, terrified that his beloved son is killed, just as he killed the beloved son of his enemy, Minos, and then he sees the black-sailed ships approach the harbor. And he thinks his son is dead, has been, and also has succumbed to probably like the most horrible fate. He literally got eaten. Okay, by a bull man. By a bull man. Uh, so he's like inconsolable, and he throws himself into the sea and drowns. Oh my gosh! And this is how the Aegean Sea got its name. We're just... I have a shocked face. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, okay, so for Theseus, it's like a bad news, good news situation. Like, your dad is dead, but you're the king now. And everyone loves you. Uh, <laughs> Yay! And he's like, ooh, my bad. Should have switched those sails. Okay. Unless he did it on purpose. Ooh. Ooh, that's dark. Okay. I mean, he was kind of a jerk. So, all right. So, like, aside from, like, the horror of, like, this half man, half beast, I also, like, feel a little bad for the Minotaur, if I'm being honest, because it's not really his fault. So, like, you have the horror of, like, being shut in a labyrinth, in a dark labyrinth your whole life, starving until, like, every year or seven years or nine years, depending on the text, you get to eat. But then also the horror of being sacrificed and being eaten by a minotaur or just like getting lost in the pitch black until you starve to death horrific like this is why i picked this story because like every aspect of it is horrible is scary and it's so like tragic and almost every angle yes but equally as scary are the actual like interpretations of the myth and the reason why this myth might have been created so 
Uh, one historical explanation refers to this time where Crete was the main, uh, like, political and cultural, like, uh, hub in the Aegean Sea. Like, so it was, they had, like, kind of like a, like a chokehold on industry. And then Athens um, was, like, a relatively new city. And so it was under tribute to Crete. So um, Athens, because, like, Crete's the big boss, right? So Athens, being, like, a new city, has to give tributes to Crete uh, to, like, continue operating on the Aegean Sea. And some historians think that included in these tributes were actually young men and women for sacrifice. And sacrificial ceremonies at the time were performed by a priest who would disguise themselves with a bull head or a bull mask, which explains the imagery of the Minotaur. So, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, like, kind of drifted in thought, but then I came back. Um, So you're telling me... In real life, there were s- human sacrifices. Yeah, that included young men and young women, and the priests, for reasons unknown, would put a bull mask on and kill them. Yeah, or like a bull head. Yeah. Would they also eat them? No, but they would like like kill them. Um. So like that. That's, like, one thing that people think may have legitimately happened. And that might be, like, kind of where the myth originated. Okay. Okay. There's another fun one. This one is scientific. Okay, so (laughs) it's actually pretty interesting. So really early descriptions of the Minotaur by Callimachus, who is a Greek poet, scholar, and librarian at the Library of Alexandria. Ooh. Um, So... All of his descriptions of the Minotaur were entirely focused on his cruel bellowing, quote-unquote. This, like, horrific, like, bellowing sound that he made from underground in the labyrinth. Okay. But there is a science journalist named Matt Kaplan who, like, went and reviewed the tectonic plate activity that would have been going on in Crete at the time. And apparently was, like, super active. Um, So there would have been, like, tons of earthquakes. Because the plates were, like, constantly colliding. So, like, then one reason, which is also scary, (laughs) is that the Minotaur was, like, the embodiment of the, the sound of, like, the tectonic plates colliding and the, like, frequent earthquakes that would happen. Okay. Just how, like, Which, people will say, like, thunder is, like, the gods. Someone told me, well, I remember when I was a kid and I was, like, scared of thunder. My parents told me it was, like, god bowling. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like. Okay, can I admit something to you? Yeah. That I think you might already know. Yeah. For longer than I'd like to admit, <laughs> I really. I really thought. <laughs> Thunder was clouds bumping together. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Like into my like preteenhood. 
Dude. <laughs> uh wow. Uh oh, which is sorry, to mention um natural disasters, volcanoes, earthquakes, things like that. Um episode twenty one natural yeah. disasters. Um yeah, preteen is too old to think that it's the clouds bumping together. Well, I can't change the past. Nope. <laughs> but um, if I could, that would be time travel, episode 18. Anyway. Also, this is like just like a side note of something that I remember coming across, but I didn't put in my notes. So like the bull, like in some tellings of the myth, the bull's name, the minotaur's name was like Asterion or Asterius, which like translate to stars. So people think like Taurus has something to do with, like, the Minotaur, that constellation. Okay. Because he had, like, a, a name that meant stars. Um, and anyway, that one is not scary. But this one, my last one, is, like, dark. Like, little bit of a trigger warning for bad stuff, kids. Okay. So Plutarch, who is, like, a famous author, historian, biographer, and priest... Um, and name in the Hunger Games, just saying. <laughs> okay, that's why I, the the Hunger Games has to be inspired by the Minotaur. I'm saying it. I'm saying. She said it. She's saying, saying it. it. It's controversial. I'm saying it. Okay, so he has a book called the Life called Life of Theseus, which was like a biography of Theseus. Okay, and he is like, oh, like here is like the real version of the myth. Here's like the rationalized version of the myth. Okay. So according to that, basically Minos had like these funeral games for Androgios, his son, um, like every few years, kind of like to commemorate his like life and death. Okay. And young people from Athens were not actually killed, but they were given as prizes to winners of these funeral games. Ooh. And they were like slaves mm-hmm. and uh, the labyrinth was actually a dungeon just an ordinary dungeon where they were temporarily kept and um so the winner there was this winner who received them whose name was taurus again okay. bold yeah and he was the most powerful general under minos and he um mistreated these children slash young people when you say mistreated it's vague uh it's bad like th- sometimes things are implied the word brutalized is used in some sources uh it's possible that they were like sex slaves or that they were just like slaves so these kids are basically used for like literally anything from what? sex slave to just like punching bag. Yeah, to like servant. Whatever. Um, and Sad. so because he mistreated the young people so bad, Taurus, General Taurus, gained this reputation as a monster. Oh. So the dungeon being the labyrinth, General Taurus being the Minotaur, uh, and he says that, um, so Plutarch, like, cites work by Aristotle, who we've all heard of, 
And um, Aristotle had mentioned in like his writings that young Athenians were said to not have been killed in Crete, but were enslaved for the rest of their lives. And there may be some historical records to back that up. Which in that case, if I were one of those kids, I would have been wa- like I would have wanted to be eaten by an actual minotaur. <laughs> yeah. So like those are the three like uh, interpretations of like the the story behind the myth, which are all like honestly pretty terrifying. The earthquake one probably being the least, <laughs> but also the idea of living in a very hot earthquake zone is pretty scary. It is. And uh, that is the myth and possibly the facts behind the story of the Minotaur. Wow. Another good one. We did a really good job. (laughs) Yes. These are really interesting. I love mythology. I do too. It is like sad. Like they're really dark stories, but they are very, very interesting. They are. Um, Wow. Okay. Well, I love, like, the possible, like, touches on Zodiac with yours as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure how I feel about the origin. Um, yeah. But cool. get out there, read some myths, uh, like, watch some videos. It is some, like, if, if you weren't ever into it, this is your time to get into it. Because you are missing out on some stories <laughs> Yes, but also, before you dive in, maybe look up potential trigger warnings, because the truth is that basically from the beginning of time, it turns out humans were capable of coming up with some truly heinous shit, and that is what makes it a scary world out there. So, hold on to the people you love. Bye! Bye! Goodness gracious. (laughs) 